Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. We all have the same amount of time every day. It's just how are we going to invest it? Mm -hmm. And I like to say to parents, think in terms of what is the time that my kid is sitting on the screen? What is it teaching them? What do they come away with, you know, and how is it impacting them? Because it is impacting them. Dr. Gary Chapman joins us today on Focus on the Family, along with Arlene Pellicane. I'm John Fuller, and your host is Focus on the Family president, Jim Daly. I don't know about you, John, but screen time is really the battle. I think most parents, if not all parents, face this problem. But uh, Personally <laughs> and as a parent. Yes. Well, maybe as adults, too. I mean, that's one of the difficulties. It kind of has consumed our life. You know, having all the information in the world at our fingertips keeps us busy mm-hmm. asking at things. Gene and I do that. We were last night, we were going to bed and we talked about where the game of chess was created. And she starts uh, getting out Research. of bed and she's going to her phone. I'm, what are you doing? Well, I'm going to check out where, where chess came from, <laughs> which <laughs> it's either China or India. I don't know which, but uh, you know, it's that kind of thing. You have all that information. Yeah. And of course, kids, uh, younger people use it for social media, for gaming, etc. It's a big issue. In fact, plugged in our great review team there with um, you know everything from movies to video games to music and everything else. Uh, they put up a lot of information about screen time. If you don't know about Plugged In, get in touch with us here at Focus on the Family because it's a wonderful parenting tool to keep you informed about what your children uh, may be viewing and participating in. Uh, Today we are going to have, I think, one of those monumental discussions about screen time by two great guests. Yeah, we've got, as I said, Dr. Gary Chapman and Arlene Pellicane. Uh, You know Dr. Chapman from his Five Love Languages books, Um, uh, they are bestsellers in so many different uh, variations. And Arlene is an author and speaker, as well as mom to three kids. They have a great book that they've written together called Screen Kids, Five Skills Every Child Needs in a Tech-Driven World. And uh, we'll encourage you to pick up a copy. Stop by FocusOnTheFamily.com slash broadcast or call 800-A-FAMILY. Dr. Chapman and Arlene, welcome back to Focus. It's always good to have you here. Super fun to be here. Yes, thank you. Always glad to be back. Arlene, let's start with you. Uh, You speak and write about technology. Uh, Dr. Chapman, you counsel parents who are struggling uh, with their kids. What are you hearing when you're interacting with those parents about, specifically about screen time? Yeah, I hear things like, where did my child go? You know, like when we started and we went, okay, it's the pandemic and my child wants to saying, hey, I need social media now to connect with my friends. And of course, the parents are thinking, well, this is the way people are communicating. They're online. So they give their 10, 11, 12, 13 year old this social media. And then six months later, they're saying, what happened? Like, why are they believing these things? Why are they in their room so much? Why? So a lot of that. And then I think if families, if you're struggling before the pandemic with, man, we're playing too many video games, or I don't like what my kid is watching. Now, after the pandemic, you know, there's one statistic I read that May 2019, compared to May 2020, the screen time had jumped 50% for kids. Right. And so, you know, if you're struggling then, man, and, and it's because you have this mixture of online school, which is, hey, that's legitimate, and you're supposed to be doing that. But then now you have online school plus all the entertainment. And all the entertainment is happening 
right next to the child, you know, while they're doing online school. You know, oh, there's yeah. all sorts of things, tabs open and different things. So this is really a huge challenge for families. Arlene, you speak about ABCD study and some of the, the early findings in yeah. that. What is the ABCD study? Right. It's, you think it's like Sesame Street or something, but it's adolescent brain cognitive development. And they are following over 10,000 kids over a 10-year period. And they're already finding that there's a link between screen time and a lot of different changes in the brain. And it's interesting because sometimes we as parents, we wait for the research. You know, we want to see the research and then, okay, we'll make our decision. But truly that research happens in your own home of what you see in your child and how you see them changing. So I just encourage you, if you see things that you're wondering about, don't you don't have to wait till scientists come out. But here's what they found uh, in terms of things that they see a thinning of the cortex. And it's this part of the brain that usually starts thinning when kids, you know, people are in their 60s. And so here they're seeing it already getting thin in children when they are on screens too much. But what they found was when kids met three markers, they were much healthier. So this is kind of, I think, a hopeful thing that we can shoot for instead of concentrating maybe on what we're limiting, which is important, but concentrate what do we need to put in each day first. And they talk about nine to 11 hours of sleep, you know, and that seems easy enough, but if you have a child, teenager, with a phone in the bedroom, and it's like an electronic baby, you know, it's like a digital baby, it's like 1 o'clock, 3 o'clock, bzz, 5 o'clock, bzz, they're getting tags, they're taught, you know, they're not sleeping. So 9 to 11 hours of sleep, no more, and even, can you imagine during COVID, but two hours or less of recreational screen time. So that digital candy that's just for fun. And that's what's so difficult. Two hours or less, yeah. and then 60 minutes of physical activity. I mean, they're kids. Yeah. So if you kind of think to yourself, okay, my kid needs to move. They can have a little bit of digital candy, but not too much. And then we need to get a good night's sleep. If you can even just get those three things in order and really focus on those three things, you're going to see a difference in your house. That's great. And those are good tips. We'll post those three online, John. Let's do that. You know, Gary, um, so often we're hearing about, you know, the entrapment of screen time and all that. Parents have always been concerned about what their kids are doing, I think, forever. And, uh, you know, whether it was watching too many movies or whatever it may have been before we had technology. So what is the allure? What, What are young people attracted to when it comes to technology? Why is it so addictive to them? Well, I think there's several things, but I think one of them is that, you know, like in the gaming thing, and you, you get feedback, you know, you, you get rewarded, you know, and you don't know when you're going to get it and, it, and and it just keeps you going. Right. I think the other thing is that it's just streaming all the time. It never stops. You know, when our kids came along, you know, this was many years ago, uh, we just had television. Well, you can pretty easily say, here are five programs. You know, right. you can choose two of them and 30 minutes apiece, you know, each day. You can pretty well handle that. But uh, with the screen, it's just constantly there. It doesn't have an end to it. And uh, so I think kids just get caught up in it. And what we were just talking about, the whole thing is they don't learn social skills. And imagine what that's going to be like when they get to be an adult. I mean, you know, if a, if a kid through all the, the high school time and all is playing games on, uh, on, uh, online, he's going to be doing that when he's 25 and married. Right. And it's not going to be well for the marriage, okay? I, I'm for marriages. <laughs> right. No, absolutely. And we hear from people that are experiencing that yeah. right now. I mean, a lot of women, who, young married couples who are writing or calling us or emailing us yeah. saying, I've got a real problem in my marriage, and my husband spends most of the free time after he gets home yeah. gaming. Yeah. And, 
you know, we're going to continue today and next time to talk about what can be done to help, especially young people, teenagers in this area. But let's move for the parents. Let's move to the warning signs. When do we know or when should we know that this has become an addiction? What are those warning signs and what, what should we be looking for? If you see your child is really moody, irritable, like more than usual, if you see, wow, they're only happy, it seems like, when they're gaming or they're on social media or they're holding a device. If you see like, oh, my child used to love to play the piano or used to love to play soccer or used to hang out with the friends in the backyard. And now all of a sudden they're like, nah, I'd rather just stay in my room. You know, so if you see this lack of interest in the, the activities that they like, you see that they are asking for more and more and more. Right. And it's in their negative consequences. There, right. There's friction in the house around this. So you might have, you know, think of it like your child could be a casual at risk or addicted gamer. And here's how you how you know if you're a casual gamer, you know, they pick up the game for 20 minutes. Not a big deal. They leave. They don't play for several days and then they pick it up. It's really not a big deal in their life. And you're like, awesome. Right. Right. The at risk is, OK, they're supposed to play over the weekend. But every day they're asking mom, dad, could I play, you know, just for half an hour? Mom, dad, could I play for 15 minutes more? And then you're thinking like, oh, they're getting kind of really interested in this. And then your addicted child, of course, is like, OK, we served dinner like four hours ago. And if you want it, it's in the microwave, you know, that, you know, they're Mm -hmm. checked out, you know, so you can kind of see where your child is because some kids can play and be okay, but then other kids can't. You know, Gary, especially in that area of psychology is something, well, you both have studied, but in that regard, um, this was all promised to be a connection to enhance people's connections with other people. The irony is when you look at the research, people are lonelier, they're more separated, even though they have more access to social media and those things that are supposed to connect people. But it hasn't really worked out, has it? I think social media is not very social, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) the reality. And I think it's because it's really an unreal world. I mean, what people are putting on, like teenagers are putting on and posting, you know, or things. And so the kid looks at the other kid and says, oh, man, look at that. I didn't know he had a car already, you know. Well, my, my, I don't have a car. You know? right. <laughs> They're just yeah. seeing all this stuff and comparing themselves with each other. And uh, and consequently, you know, they feel like, well, they're better than I am or they're, you know, got more of this or that or the other thing. And uh, it, it's not building it's not building relationships. Yeah. The uh, lack of uh, community. Like even think of what it's called. You have a follower. And my daughter, Noelle, she's a freshman in high school. So, you know, that's a ripe age to want social media and do all those things. So she's not allowed to have it because I write this book, Screen Kids, you know, so she's not allowed <laughs> to have it. But she has told me, you know, Mom, I would rather have a real friend in real life sit next yeah. to me, look at me and say, you're loyal, you're a good friend. I'd much rather have that mom than 100 followers that I barely know. And so kids know the difference. And they think they fall into that trap of, oh, if I have these followers, I'll be happy. But it's this image management that is way too much for a girl, like to think like, I've got to manage my image. And how should I respond to that so that I'm popular? And how can I get more response? So Mm. it's all about response, following. It's not about true friendship. And those friends, you know, my son, Ethan, he also doesn't have social media. He's a junior. But he was talking about that there was this Facebook study where he, some guy invited all of his followers, like 300 followers to a party. And just one guy showed up. And he was just saying, like, you have this false sense 
of yeah, I have all these people yeah. in my life and I'm really popular. But when it comes down to it, if you get sick, who's coming to visit you? You right. know, it's like nobody is coming to visit you. Right. No so commitment. to help our kids understand they need real life friends. Yeah. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Good parents aren't perfect, and that's okay. But there are ways you can grow every day. Focus on the Family's Seven Traits of Effective Parenting Assessment gives parents an honest look at their unique strengths, plus some areas they could use a little help. Every mom and dad can help raise the next generation of healthy, mature, and responsible children. And this assessment will help get you started. Take the assessment at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash 7Trades. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash 7Trades. Find fun for your kids just a click away. And now, Adventures in Odyssey. The Adventures in Odyssey Club, where your 8 to 12-year-old can find trusted faith-building entertainment in a safe online club. It features almost every episode ever, plus special monthly club-only episodes and content, and a Focus on the Family Clubhouse magazine subscription. Sign up today. Just go to aioclub.org slash radio. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Let me ask both of you to share some ways that parents can model this. How do parents connect with their children in order to look like, feel like this is what a normal relationship is all about? What can we do? Well, you know, Jim, I had a mother share this with me recently because I had encouraged in one of my meetings why don't you ask your teenager, you know, I'm thinking about how I could be a better mother. And uh, I'd like you to give me one idea of how I could be a better mother. Mm. And she said, I was shocked when my daughter said to me, Oh, Mom, I feel like I don't ever have your full attention. When I'm talking to you, you're always doing something. You've got the phone you're looking at. You've got the computer you're on. And I don't ever feel like I have your full attention. And her mother said, oh, oh I didn't realize that. You know, and we don't realize that. Sure. You know, we, so as adults, we have to think in terms of our own use of technology because we may be setting for them an example, and they're just following our example when they, when they turn in that direction. Yeah. But the kid wants to have a meaningful personal relationship with their parents and that means undivided attention, and you can't do that and be messing with your phone. You know, uh, Gary, I think you were the one that suggested this a long time ago. In the marriage relationship, take some time, like when you get home from work, both of you, one of you, whatever the situation is, and spend a little time together. And I'm I'm parlaying that into your relationship with your children. It's I think one of the you know, I'm hopeful I don't have many mistakes in my parenting. I'm sure there's more than I see. But one of the things I regret I didn't do, having two boys two years apart, I tended to do everything together with them. Hey, let's go have breakfast together. Let's go do this together. Because they're both boys, and it was easy to bundle yeah. that way, if I can say it. And I, and I hear about other dads particularly who were able, because they had daughters and sons, yeah. you know, they separated their time. Yeah. And if I could redo one thing, that would be it, is to have that one-on-one time so we can look forward to it, spend time talking together, asking questions yeah. of each other. I would think that very marriage advice that you provide also applies to your kids. Yeah, I really agree. Have a daily sit-down and listen time. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> tell me a couple of things that happened today, and how did you respond to them? Yeah, did you I, see anybody angry today? Did you have to apologize today? Did, what what went on today? You know, yeah, that that kind of. Well, I don't. Even, you have to be sitting down. You can right. be taking a walk together, but right. you're sharing those things. That's what builds relationships with children. And it also models what human interaction is supposed yeah. to look like, Absolutely. right? Which is back to the very point. Yeah, have you done got, something like that? Early? Well, yeah, it's the idea of pivoting. So if you are looking at your device. And a human being, you know, it could be a spouse, a child, you know, a, a stranger, but, you know, it's a human being comes to your airspace. That's common courtesy to look away from your device, look at them in the eye and have some kind of like, hey, how are you doing? And what we're seeing is in families, we're not pivoting from our devices. We're, you know, think about if you are having a conversation, the qualitative difference, if you're looking at each other. That's a different feel than, let's say, you're both staring at devices. You're using the exact same words, but it feels very different. So be aware of your eyes today. Like, what are you looking at? When your child is there, are you looking at the phone, but you're saying, get your coat. It's cold. Okay, we're going to leave in five minutes. Hey, go get your sister. You know, and you're not really looking at them. Your kids notice that. Now, if you do that once in a while, that's not a big deal. Right. But if day after day moment after moment, every time your child refers to you, they see that your attention is on a device. They're going to get that message, as Dr. Chapman has said so well, that device is more important than me. And that's, you know, there are so many kids. We think it's the kids that have the problem, but there's so many kids who are like, if my mom or dad would just stop check an email, and I would feel more loved. I think taking an assessment of that is really good because I've tried to do that. And I I know of times when I'm talking with one of my boys and I get a ping and they're still talking to me and I'm like eyeing, okay, who's that from? (laughs) What person is it it important? It does communicate what's in front and what's in my hand is more important than the the child in front of me. And you can have this conversation with your kids and kind of bust each other on it. That's kind of fun because Lucy, my daughter, she's 11 now. It's harder with online school for us because they're 100% at home. So I'm working. I'm not thinking like every time you walk in the room, I have to pivot, you know, to look at you. But Lucy will say to me, mom, pivot, pivot, you know, and I'll (laughs) have to pivot away from my desk and say, hey, Lucy, what's going on? It's a good word. So you kind of can remind each other, parents to children and children to parents. Give yourself that freedom. Let me me poke uh, the sensitive area for parents because you uh, point to a study that um, said that 70% of children uh, that are online have been exposed to pornography. I mean, that's something Focus on the Family has fought for years, and yet it doesn't feel like we're gaining ground. In fact, it feels like we're losing, especially with the pervasive nature of technology today. You almost have to inoculate your children. Talk about when this pops up, here's what you need to do. Um, But speak to that. I mean, it's almost like the analogy that pops in my head is like a fishing net. It used to be a fishing pole's out there trying to get your kid. Now it's these big drag nets Mm. that are just scooping our kids up and introducing them to things that are wholly inappropriate. And this is one of the top reasons why my 16-year-old son does not have a phone, because it's kind of that idea of delaying that device as much as possible, because you know that once that device is accessible to your child, and once your child is introduced to all these things, I mean, it's natural to be curious and to want to do these things, but then it becomes so evil and so distorted and so shameful, and it's such a trap for kids and for adults. And so one, I would say delay the device as much as possible because you think you're helping your child be safe because you give them a phone so they can contact you, but you're also giving them a a way 
to get a hold of a really, you know, a lot of bad stuff. And what's so, you know, again, what's so difficult in the parenting role is it's going to be different for your 11, 12, 13-year-old compared to your 17, 18-year-old. I mean, I have an 18-year-old senior still at home. So you're trying to equip them to think smartly. Also, I think it's really important that if it comes up, that you don't panic about it, that you listen and that it's something okay to talk about and that sex is something that you're talking about with kids at a very young age now. And, you know, not long conversations. When I talk to my son about, you know, hey, all those YouTube videos, you, you can really get into trouble. He doesn't want to talk to me about that for 10 minutes. But, you know, a short conversation and make those conversations part of regular life because it is something that your kids are going to have to deal with and wrestle with. Gary, what does a screen smart and a screen safe home look like? You know, I think there are a number of things, uh, Jim. Uh, One is there ought to be times and spaces in the house where we don't have devices. And one of those, I think, is the mealtime. Yeah. You know, we don't even have our phones with us, and we're not not responding if we hear them in the other room, and the TV is not on. The mealtime is the time for us to talk to each other. And it can be one of the most meaningful things for kids. In fact, our kids look back and tell us, that's one of the best memories they have of childhood is the talking yeah. around the table, you know. And then also uh, the devices would not be in, the, in their bedrooms. That the bed, They ought to be collected somewhere by parents, and they're not in the bedroom. In the bedroom, you can read a book if you like before <laughs> right. you go to sleep. Read as long as you want to before you go to sleep because we want them to learn to read because that's a very positive thing in terms of mental development and so forth. So I think having those spaces where we don't have screens and where we don't answer them if we hear them in the distance is one thing. Uh, I think another thing is that we uh, communicate to them some of the things that they're going to encounter perhaps on there, like the bullying thing, for example, that you may get some things that are said to you that are going to be hurtful, and I want you to come and tell me about them. When you see those, come and tell me about them. Let's talk about them because it can be devastating to a child when they get those kind of comments. And if they don't share them with their parent and get some affirmation from the parent, they can get sucked into that, you know, very, very much. Yes. The other, the other um, observation that we have is that I think the CDC released a report not long ago that 14 to 24-year-olds, that 25% of those uh, people have had suicidal ideation, meaning they've thought about killing themselves. That's that's 25%. It's several million people that that represents. How much have they been able to determine how influential screen time is in that sense of anxiety and depression? I think it is a huge factor because if a child growing up feels the security and the closeness of their family, if they are successful in school, you know, that they feel like they can do it, they're going to be okay. You know, they're going to feel okay. So something's missing. Something's not happening. And I think what you're seeing is from birth to 10, instead of kids being attached to their parents, they get attached to that iPad that's entertaining wow. and amusing. That's convicting. And, they, and then as parents, we're busy. So we think, well, at least they're safe and you know they're okay and they're just sitting right here. So we're physically present with our kids, but we are emotionally distant. Mm. And I think as you grow up and that becomes very common, so you think, well, this is just the way it is. And then you have all these kids who don't have that right basis for judging how is my life meaningful? Am I yeah. safe? Am I one? I mean, I, I've had kids that look so good on the outside, you know, say, 
I've been thinking about killing myself. I think, where does this come from? Yeah, you it's know? almost epidemic, yeah. actually. And so we need to start uh, pointing out th- th- those things that are at least, uh, you know, contributing yeah. to these thoughts and ideas. Gary, how can we ensure the emotional health and well-being of our children? I mean, that, that's a bold question right at the yeah. end here. But what are those things we should be doing? The child's deepest emotional need is the need to feel loved by the parents. Yeah. And if that child genuinely feels loved by the parent, they're first of all going to be more open to your instruction and they're going to be less rebellious because they feel secure in your love. Yeah. So learning a child's primary love language, giving heavy doses of that, and then sprinkling in the other four languages because we want the child to learn how to receive and give love in all five languages. This is the healthiest adult. Hit those five so the parents know them. Yeah, one of them is words of affirmation. You know, and that's not hard to do. And then there's gifts. And that can be difficult with teenagers because they can say, that's my love language, and they want, I want everything. But you, know, you, you say, I love you too much to give you everything. But gifts, and then there's quality time. Yeah, we were talking about that earlier and giving them your full attention. And then there's acts of service, doing things for them, helping them fix a bicycle chain or mending a doll dress or anything, cooking a meal and all of that. And then physical touch, affirming physical touch. Yeah. And each child, one of those is more important than the others. I call it their primary language. So you give heavy doses of that. And, uh, and then you speak the others. If that child feels loved, they're going to be more open to whatever guidelines and rules that you set up regarding technology. And we're going to explore more of that connection next time, Gary. But I, I think at the end here for that parent that gets frustrated because, you know, they're, they're looking out for the best interest and safety of the child. And so they could be pretty demanding in what that child can and cannot do. And, of course, that child translates that as, I don't think you love me. I mean, I could hear that right now, right? So let's get into that next time and talk about how a parent does that balancing act, that high wire act between I know what's right for you and I love you, but you can never do this again because <laughs> that's a very complicated parenting mess. Can we do that? Yes. Of course. Okay. Well, I love these kinds of programs, Jim, because they're so informative and so helpful for all of us as parents. They are, and that's exactly why Focus on the Family is here. Uh, We want to give you the tools you need to be an effective and loving parent, to raise the next generation so they can be strong, flourishing adults who stand for Christ. Uh, We're here for you to do that, Uh, not just on the air with programs like this, but with reliable, practical help and resources. Your gift today will share the healing and hope of Jesus Christ as you support our broadcast, podcasts, counseling resources, online and print articles, life-changing events like Hope Restored or life-saving efforts like Option Ultrasound. In fact, when you donate today, a gift of any amount, we'll send you a copy of the book by Arlene and Dr. Chapman that we mentioned today, Screen Kids, as our way of saying thank you for supporting the ministry of Focus on the Family. Donate and get your copy of Screen Kids, Five Skills Every Child Needs in a Tech-Driven World at focusonthefamily.com broadcast or call 800, the letter A, and the word family. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team here, thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller, inviting you back tomorrow for more of this conversation with Dr. Gary Chapman and Arlene Pelicane as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break and then return with the second half of this program, 
for your family. Stay tuned. Day after day, moment after moment, every time your child refers to you, they see that your attention is on a device. And that's, you know, there's so many kids. We think it's the kids that have the problem, but there's so many kids who are like, if my mom or dad would just stop, check an email, and I would feel more loved. Well, that's Arlene Pelicane, and she joins us again today on Focus on the Family. And uh, she's joined by Dr. Gary Chapman. We're going to be talking about screens and kids. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, last time we talked about how screens and the addiction to screens, especially for our kids, but us too as parents, how it's affecting our families, our household, everything. And I think in this moment, as uh, you know, we're coming out of COVID and all those things, there's just such high use of screen time right now. How do we get control of that? It's the number one issue in the daily household. I don't know about you. I, I was just thinking about this, Jim. There are screens everywhere. My printer has a screen. Refrigerators <laughs> often have screens. Uh, I mean, they're everywhere in the home yeah. and, and they command our attention. And here's the bottom line. Here at Focus, we want to help you be the best parent you can be. We want to equip you to be a godly parent. And I think being aware of screen time, usage, et cetera, uh, the traps that are out there, but also the benefits. I mean, it is something to have the knowledge of the world at your fingertips. Mm-hmm. And uh, your kids need to access that information for school, for other things. But how do we find that great balance? And, uh, you know, it's like anything. I think the printing press was probably seen by some as evil, but there are good things that God will use through it. The same is true with the Internet. Uh, There's many evil things on it. But there are some good things. Bible studies. Uh, You know, Gene has two or three Bible study going online, and I'm sure many of you do as well. Today, we're going to cover that topic, continue to cover the topic. If you missed last time, go to the website, get the download, get the smartphone app, whatever you need to do. It was a wonderful conversation that pointed the finger both at parents and then at young people that maybe are spending too much time with their screens. Yeah, and ironically, you just said get the smartphone app. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean it. We are, we are online. Give us, uh, give us a call as well, uh, 800-A-FAMILY, or online at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. And as I mentioned, Dr. Gary Chapman and Arlene Pelicane are back with us, and uh, they've written this great book, Screen Kids, Five Skills Every Child Needs in a Tech-Driven World. And uh, we do encourage you to get a copy of that from us. Dr. Chapman is a pastor and speaker and author of the best-selling Five Love Languages books. And Arlene is also a speaker and author and wife and mom of three. <laughs> Welcome to both of you. Good to have you back. Great Thank to you. be with you. I, I wanted to say something about that smart smartphone thing app. So there's <laughs> digital vegetables and digital candy. So it seems ironic, like, oh, we're talking about technology, but you're using technology. Do you feel hypocritical? But all screen time is not equal. And so to realize as a parent, is this something good that's building my brain, that's, you know, going to help my soul, you know, feed my soul? That's a digital vegetable. That's Skyping grandma. That's online school. No kid is going to get addicted to online school. You don't have to worry about <laughs> That. But it's the digital candy, it's the endless YouTube videos, TikTok, Instagram, video games. That's the stuff that you really want to watch. So mm-hmm. all screen time is not equal. Well, and it's so easy. I, you know, when I go to church, 
I pull out my phone, not to do email, right. but to read along with the text sure, that's being you read. Do. No, I'm just, yeah. you know, but it is. It's just so convenient. I, I know even in that camp, there's going to be people, you should bring the book. But it, <laughs> the book's right there. <laughs> you can just like right. use your thumb and there's yes. the book. You know. <laughs> but it is all that uh, tradition versus non-traditional approaches. Uh, let's do a little recap from last time for the listeners that are just joining today. Uh, let's describe, and Arlene, I'll start with you. Uh, the impact technology and screens are having on our children today. And you can work in the brain science that we may not yeah. have been able to get to last time. Yeah, so that is a huge thing is just thinking of how is this technology impacting my child's brain? And if you just think that way, reading is always going to be good for your child's brain. And then you think, oh, I can't get my kid to read. Well, the truth is they probably have too many other options, so they're going to say, I can't read. But when you leave them and there's no device present and all they have is a book and time, they'll pick up a book. You know, So I just encourage you, that's going to be really good because the impact of screen time is kids are attached to their devices instead of being attached to you as parents. And that's really a core need that they need to feel loved. And then what's happening in a child's brain, especially as they're younger and younger. You know, I remember when we bought our home, it was new development. It's just dirt, you know, and you buy the home by faith that they're going to build it. And of course, now it's 20 years later and I've got tons of roads and freeways. I can go wherever I want. And your child's brain is like that dirt pathway. And if the only superhighway they have goes to YouTube, the tablet, to Netflix, and that's all they have. That's why when they grow up to be adults, they're not ready because they don't have the roads built towards, oh, this is self-control. This is how I regulate my emotions. I want to throw a fit, but I'm not going to throw a fit. This is how I do homework, even though I don't feel like it. This is how I pray, and I don't get an instant answer, and I'm okay with that. Because technology is instant. Technology is easy, low barrier of entry, and you get huge success with really very little effort. And so as a parent, you have to realize their brain is learning these pathways and we have to make sure there are pathways that go to the Bible, pathways that go to common courtesy, pathways to go to being excellent, pathways when you fail, what do you do? So those things are so important right. for kids. And I want to be careful, uh, you know, there's, there's the biology of it, mm -hmm. but we make choices that increase the difficulty, right? So whether you're an adult or a teenager, if you're spending too much time getting that dopamine hit, yeah. Gary, uh, you know, that... We need to discipline ourselves not to do that that often, right? Yeah, I think, you know, we all have the same amount of time every day. It's just how are we going to invest it? Mm -hmm. yeah. And I like to say to parents, think in terms of what is the time that my kid is sitting on the screen? What is it teaching them? What do they come away with, you know, and how is it impacting them? Because it is impacting them. And we need to be talking about that. What did you learn from that, from yeah. that game? Or what did you learn from this? Or what? And, and also observe their behavior because their behavior will be different if they're really getting engrossed in, in, in the screen. And so I think, yeah, as parents, we have to recognize we want to prepare these children for adulthood. And you don't have to worry about them learning technical skills. They, they can pick that up uh, you know, no matter when they start. Yeah. What we want to do is learn how to have social skills so they can relate to people. Because many, many people as adults lose their jobs because they don't know how to relate to people with whom they work. So right. it's important that we build social skills into the children. So true, and we're going to get into that today. Uh, you've identified five A-plus social skills, as you mentioned, uh, Gary, that every child needs. 
Um, what are they? Uh, give us the list, then we'll start to dig into each one. Yeah, the first A is affection. Can your child give and receive love? And then appreciation. Is your child a grateful child? Or are they like, I didn't get one, or I need one, you know, entitled? Anger management. Every child's mm-hmm. going to get angry, but how do they manage that? How do they, you know, express their anger? Apology. Can your child apologize in real life and say, hey, I take responsibility? Or do they just pretend it didn't happen and, you know, they don't text you back and there's no apology? And then lastly, attention. Can your child take a wandering attention and put it where it's supposed to be? And, you know, these are A-plus skills that, you know, they're not necessarily academic skills, but they are very important for life. And unfortunately, I think a lot of kids have the A-plus skill of amusement. They're really good at amusement and they know how to do that, but they don't know how to do these. At Dr. Chapman, the five love languages. We mentioned them uh, last time right at the end of the day, but they do come into play here. Describe again what those look like in terms of showing our children affection. Yeah, there are five fundamental ways to express love on an emotional level to a child or to an adult for that matter. Uh, One is words of affirmation, you know, just looking at positive things about them and expressing it. You know, I really appreciate you taking the trash out today. That was wonderful. Yeah. And then uh, there's uh, acts of service, doing something for them, especially things they can't do for themselves. And that can be simple things. You know, cooking a meal is an act of service for a child. Let them know that, you know. And teaching them how to cook is a, a bigger act of service. And then there's the gifts. It's universal to give and receive gifts. And the gifts don't have to be expensive. It just communicates to the child, you know, I was at the store and I thought about you and I wanted you to have this, a gift. And then quality time, giving the child your undivided attention. We've talked about that, how important it is when you're talking to that child, you're looking in the eyes, you're listening to them, you're not responding to your phone, giving them quality time. And then physical touch, affirming physical touch. And the basic concept is that every child has a primary love language. One of these will speak more deeply to them than the other four. So you give heavy doses of that primary. But you also speak the others because we want that child to learn how to receive love and give love in all five languages. That's the healthiest adult. It's so true. All right, let's move to appreciation. Uh, It's another skill, but the opposite of that is entitlement. And we see a lot of teens particularly that have an entitlement attitude. Parents right now, I can hear them through the, the microphone. Yeah, that's my teen. How do we help them to better appreciate things? I think having your children earn their digital devices can really help them appreciate their things. So for instance, our son Ethan, he's 16. And as we've talked about, he doesn't have a phone because we don't let him. But we've talked about if we did let you, would you? And he's like, he's a little too tight with his money. (laughs) He's like, I don't think so because he knows we'd make him pay for it. And so this idea of if they had to earn things. So for instance, I had one family who they just gave a laptop to their oldest. And of course, their oldest trashed the laptop, didn't take care of it, lost it sometimes. So with the second child, they're like, we're not making that mistake. You have to earn half. And for that child, they took care of it. They knew where it was. There was that ownership involved. So we as parents, sometimes, of course, it's because we love our kids and we want to spoil them. And so they say, I want this. And two weeks later, it's in their room, right? But they don't appreciate it. But if they have to wait for it, if they have to earn money towards it, if they have to mow some lawns for it, if they get that this costs something, because that's really going to help them as they're adults. And they realize, oh, you mean when I click on these things to buy them, like you actually have to work in order to make money. So 
help <laughs> your kids. Say, right? Mom, let me have your credit card. Exactly. <laughs> so a grateful child is one who kind of appreciates the worth of what they're getting. And a great way to do that is, is get them involved in that. Right. And that's affection and appreciation. The other one, Gary, is anger management. Uh, it's third on your list of social skills. Let me ask you, how are video games contributing to that anger management? Uh, I think there's empirical data to support that. but yeah. They are not teaching you how to handle anger. They are fostering anger and all the violence. And it's, they, they, all the research is clear on that, the violence. The more they watch violent uh, games and so forth, the more likely they are to mismanage their own anger. There's nothing wrong with anger. The Bible says God is angry every day with the wicked. <laughs> right. We get angry because we're made in God's image and we have a concern for right. And when you feel like you've been treated unfairly, you feel angry. But as humans, we have two kinds of anger. We have righteous anger. We were treated wrongly and we should be angry. But we also get angry when we don't get our way. And you can see that in a three-year-old. You know, right. They don't get the cookie they want. You know? yeah. So we have to teach them how to handle anger in a positive way. And let's face it. Many, many children are not getting instruction on how to handle anger. And uh, so maybe their parents aren't either. Maybe the parents don't know how. <laughs> As a matter of fact, sometimes they're modeling their parents. Right. You know, I remember when my teenage son started yelling and screaming at me, and I asked myself, where did he learn that? I thought, oh, maybe he learned it from me. Mm. <laughs> and I remember we had a good talk, and I said, Derek, man, uh, I tell you, I, I have not handled my anger well with you, and let's see if we can learn how to do this. Maybe the next time you're angry, you just say to me, Dad, I'm angry. Can we talk? And I'll listen to you. And when I get angry, I'm going to say, Derek, I'm angry. Can we talk? And let's learn how to talk our, through our anger and not yell through our anger. Yeah. So that, that whole thing, a whole bunch of things that are important on that. But that learning how to handle anger is really key if they're going to make it well in the adult world. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. When a woman discovers her husband's struggle with pornography, she needs a practical plan. The latest book from Focus on the Family, Aftershock, by professional counselor Joanne Condy, will help you through the seven steps of self-care, and you'll learn how to deal with the emotions involved in the discovery of your husband's addiction. Let Joanne Condy's timeless wisdom give you hope even while you're in your own season of Aftershock. Learn more about Aftershock at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash store. Man, I knew my marriage was falling apart. I just didn't know how to fix it. I felt like I would always be alone, even if I stayed married. At Focus on the Family's Hope Restored Marriage Intensive, we offer hope to couples in crisis so they can have the marriage they've always dreamed of. For the first time, I felt like my husband truly heard me. I've received some great tools from the counselors that have changed my life and my marriage. To begin the journey of finding health, go to HopeRestored.com today. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Let me ask both of you, and of course, Gary, again, with love languages, this is a critical component of your research and what you've done, but the art of apology, mm -hmm. um, the idea of apology. I think it is difficult for teens to apologize. I think it's one of the you know, the, the glimpses into the human soul and our inability to live up to what God expects of us, right? Because we lean towards sin. And so I think as a teenager, we tend to cover because we're embarrassed or whatever it might be. Apology is hard. Mm -hmm. um, and so speak to that idea of the art of apology. Yeah, so apologizing is much easier just to ignore 
like you did something yeah, wrong. Right. And then everything is online now for teenagers. So if they just ignore it, if they just don't respond to the text, if they just block a friend, if they just, you know, drop something, you know, they can just pretend it didn't happen instead of saying, I will try to restore this friendship. Or, you know, of course, you get hurt by someone and instead of apologizing, trying to restore the friendship, then it gets nasty. And then it's just a blame game. And then it's like, let me just smear them. Let me just put this stuff on their social media page. And that's a problem. And so to teach kids, I think by modeling. So you model, hey, I really want to be a good parent, but I'm sorry. I failed you in this area. I know this isn't going to make you happy. I know you're going to be upset with me, but I've let you play this game. I think it's too violent. I think it's affecting you as a person. Your siblings are talking about how you're not acting like you used to. So it's my fault. I'm sorry. I bought the game. And so we're going to take it away. And I just want to let you know I'm sorry. I'm not trying to ruin your life. You know, and it's this apology that you are sorry because you are sorry that you gave the game. So model apology to your kids, and that will help them when they need to apologize to do the same thing. And really pray that the Holy Spirit speaks to your child. That's good. Gary, how do you apply the apology with the love languages? It's core to what you've talked about for years. Yeah, I think there are different uh, ways to apologize, and I think we need to teach our children different ways to apologize. The most common way is I'm sorry. And even the kid doesn't quite know what that means, but it's trying to express regret. You know, right. I'm sorry that I did that. And accepting responsibility. I was wrong. I should not, I should not have done that, you know. And so I think uh, in terms of teaching them how to apologize, I, I agree with uh, the model that Arlene just said. We have to model that. One of the most important skills we can teach a child is how to apologize. And I think we do that by our model. Are kids uh, moving to the next one, attention, paying attention? Our children, you know, we struggle as young people to do that anyway. Our minds are moving so fast. I think we as adults struggle, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, but to really give people the consideration, this includes your your child, the consideration to stop what you're doing and to look them face-to-face and to really hear what they're saying. How do we teach our children uh, to pay attention more? I think even our producer's daughter uh, told her that watching a movie is such a commitment. I mean, two hours, <laughs> come on. Uh, and that's uh, a really good insight. Uh, I mean, our attention spans today are shorter, and our need for paying attention seems to be greater. I think a super easy way to think of this is think of Mr. Rogers. And that was like slow. He's just talking. It's right. one camera. And that was real life. And then think of what kids watch today. It's like things are moving every few seconds. There's colors. There's explosions. Stimulus. It's stimulus. It's stimulating. And so for kids, when they see that and they're raised on that, and then all of a sudden they have to read a book or they have to listen to a pastor or they have to listen to a teacher. It's like, whoa, this is really boring. My attention. I cannot handle this. Matthew Killingsworth um, out of Harvard talks about a wandering mind that you're thinking about something else. And he says 46% of the time when we're in the present, right, we're thinking of something else. We're thinking of what we're going to do, what we just did, whatever. That seems low to me. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe exactly. I'm guilty. Yeah. <laughs> so so used 52%. To right. <laughs> you know, and they did this experiment contrasting Mayan children and kids from the United States, from California, to see if what their attention was like. And uh. they took two kids, and they had them at two different desks, and one of the kids got a toy to assemble, and then the other kid was told just to wait. And so they found that the Mayan kids could just sit there and wait. 
Just quietly at the desk, watch the other kid assemble the toy, and just wait two-thirds of the time, sustained attention, no problem at all. They threw in the kids from California, right? And you can already see it. Why did he get a toy to assemble? And how come I don't have a toy to assemble, right? And then the kid would just last seconds before they were mm. up out of the seat, you know, going in circles, whether they were, like, moving back and forth or completely distracted. And say, so, my goodness, what is this stark contrast between these Mayan kids from Guatemala and these California kids, and it is what they're raised doing, right? So our California kids, we're looking at screens, we're entertained. The Mayan kids, they're doing chores with their family. They're used to listening to instructions. And then they have this intrinsic motivation of, you know, no one's making me like I want to just sit here is what they observed is the kids were like, I'm fine with this. I So the helicopter parent, that's just pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. It's like the kid's like, I'm not going to pay attention. But when you can flip that switch in your kid's heart that says, I'm going to do this for me, the intrinsic motivation of I obey and, hey, you know what? God says honor your father. I mean, the kid's not going to say God says honor your father or mother, but there's a law there that if they do honor their father and mother, they're going to be blessed. Mm. So when the kid puts that together for themselves, if I pay attention in school, I get good grades. And wow, when I'm a senior in high school, I might have choices that I wouldn't if I hadn't have done that. Once they get that intrinsic motivation, they taste that success of sustained attention, that's when the magic starts happening. When I think that's as a parent, that's when you really have achieved the goal. When you've, uh, your child like that. Yeah. Mayan child right. is able to, it's too bad. Being from California, I get it. We're distracted. <laughs> Short memories. All the, yeah, I'm so you, speaking up for the California yeah. kids. So you think we're advantaged because we have all these things, but really yeah. the simpler life, yeah. right? The kids, it's much easier for them to pay attention. Well, which is good. You know, there's, there's so much at play here. I think when your child is 11, 12, um, you're going to be thinking of things differently than when he or she is 17, 16, because there's more maturity. They may not be handling it well, but I can imagine, I have a friend <laughs> who's had a discussion that went something like this, uh, honey, usually the wife to the husband, uh, they're way over gaming. We've got to do something here. Like, yeah, you know, it's not bad. It keeps them occupied. It's better than them looking at pornography. You know, who knows what that person's <laughs> going to say, but speak to the couple uh, particularly, Gary, uh, because there can be some marital tension in this mm. too, because one of the parents is a little more easygoing than the parent that's observing this is harmful, and we need to do something. And it's my assumption would be oftentimes it's the wife saying, honey, <laughs> get off your duff. I need your help here. How do we manage that? Yeah, well, I think, first of all, husbands need to listen to their wives because yes, God gave true. them as a gift to us. Yeah. And usually they're right on this sort of thing. Let's go. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. I think the other thing is to ask yourself the question, how much time and what am I doing with my children? When they look back on childhood, what are they going to remember? And that will kind of help you think. Maybe I should be doing more things with the child, not just letting them play games all the time. Am I doing my thing and they're doing their thing? Yeah. Because really, when they look back on their childhood, their memories of you are going to be focused around what you did with them, how you treated them, the conversations they had with you, the long walks they had, the trips you took together, just the two of you, the breakfast you had together, just the two of you. That's the things they're going to remember. And we can get so busy in our vocation and in other things that we have to do, even good things that we have to do, that we leave our children to the screens 
rather than being a father and a mother to them. Well, and I want to emphasize something you both have said, this idea of loving your child. Um, I tend to be on that end of it. Uh, teenagers, and of course my experience is with boys, so I don't have the, the beauty of raising a daughter. I miss that and I regret that. But um, in that context, Jean and I are usually, you know, she's raising the concern. I'm saying, you know, let's look at the long view. Um, let's love them well. And there needs to be some of that there for the parent that teenagers are going to behave like teenagers at times and you need to point out the issues and those things but i wholeheartedly agree with you that when they leave the home with that sense of love that you care about them then all the things that you've talked about will be respected and you got to think of that child that 15 year old as a 35 year old a 40 year old and you know they're going to find their way and hopefully because of the healthy boundaries and the healthy relationship that you've established as a parent, they're going to do fine. Yeah. Good question to ask is, what if my children turn out to be like me? (laughs) And how you use your technology. What if your kid grows up to use technology just like you? Would that be a good thing? You know, I had um, this John Hopkins trained neuroscientist named Dr. Andrew Doan, and I was talking to youth And I was telling them how from the age of 25 to 35, he was gaming 80 to 100 hours a week while going (laughs) to medical school. And what was funny was these boys were like, awesome. They thought that made him a hero. And they really sincerely, they whooped and hollered and were like, awesome, 80 to 100 times a week. That's awesome. And he was a doctor. Woo. But then I said, what if that was your dad? Because he was married. And he had kids, mm-hmm. and he they filed for divorce, and he wasn't there for his kids because he was gaming. And then it got real quiet, and they honestly then understood, oh, I guess that's not so good after all. Limited time. So that is yeah. that cautionary tale to us as adults. If we're gaming too much, if we're on social media too much, our kids are watching, and it matters to them. Mm-hmm. Gary and Arlene, let me get this last question we have touched the heart of a parent. They're going, oh, I've blown it. What's one thing they can do today to change the trajectory? I think one of the first things would be to apologize and just to say to the child, you know, I realize I made a mistake in this and I'm going to ask you to forgive me. Mm. I think to have an action step that you think, okay, I've heard this and now we're going to do the screen-free mealtime. Or I heard this and I'm going to collect the phone, the digital baby that's crying all night in my teenager's room and so they can't sleep. I'm going to collect that at night. And just pick one thing and really follow through and really do it. And don't expect that your kids are going to rise up and call you blessed because they probably (laughs) won't. But stick with it. Stick with it and be consistent and do something and feel like you're not hopeless and powerless. Both great suggestions. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. And let me remind you, our listener, that Focus on the Family is here for you. We know parenting can be a challenge, and that's why we exist. We want to provide you with great tools like Plugged In. Uh, The team reviews movies and other forms of entertainment, explores pop culture, and keeps you informed of the things you need to know about screens as a parent. God is using your support to reach millions of people each week as they tune into the daily broadcast with guests, information, and resources that transform lives. But so many more need hope. You can share that hope by supporting the ministry of Focus on the Family today. In fact, when you give any amount today, we'll send you a copy of Arlene and Dr. Chapman's great book, Screen Kids, Five Skills Every Child Needs in a Tech-Driven World, as our way of saying thank you for joining the ministry. 
Donate today. Uh, learn more about Plugged In and get your copy of Screen Kids when you call 800-A-FAMILY or online at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. <music>